Are you ready? I was born ready. Don't fuck this up. Again. Wait, wait, I'm not ready. Scott, <laughs> Scott, why? What you doing, man? Why you keep coming in and out? What's happening? Is this is this protest? Is that what you're doing? I feel like I was like gonna stay off camera, then I felt like I wanted to be a part of the facial like conversation that was going on. Then I was like, no, that's too much. I like come back out, and like another thing. Then I just needed to shake off the full title part because I could care less. <laughs> I'm gonna keep the video on, but mute, but try to like not make too many faces while I listen. <laughs> I need a different class of, of people to work with. I can't. I can't deal with y'all. <laughs> Are we ready, people? Can I do this, please? It's Black History Month. Can y'all just like? Oh chill out? my God! Please let me do my thing for one month thank, out the year. Thank God, Can it's I just... the shortest fucking month because I can't give you a full month. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Diving Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Donald Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we are going to be joined by my dear, dear friend, Scott Nine. So please stick around. You are not going to want to miss this. Hey, Shandine. Do not, do not, hey do there. not, do not, do not you do your normal, you start first <sighs> and position it so that I have to go Why first. Why are you such a crybaby? Hmm? Why? Why are you such a pain in my ass? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good morning. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Just a normal human greeting. I'm proud of you. That had to be so hard for you. Um let me be clear I, to our listeners. This is like mm-hmm. the fourth hour that we've been together this morning. So just so you know, I opened our conversations with good morning. How are you? How are you doing? I care about you. Just yeah, so they know. They'll never hear that part. <laughs> um, through the power of editing. Um, I... I'm always glad to be here with you. I'm excited to have uh, Scott join us later on. Um, But I did want to circle back to a a conversation I've had with a couple of our listeners and um, use that feedback from some of our listeners to leverage a larger conversation. So uh, you and I have often went back and forth around um, the way in which we like to take in information. And I've made it very clear over the course of multiple episodes that I'm not um, a big reader and that I prefer my information to come into my ear holes. Um, And so I engage with Audible quite a bit. And um, you and I have gone back and forth about that and even roped some of our guests into that conversation a couple of times and asked them to pick sides about, you know, cracking up with a book and reading it versus um, engaging with something like Audible. And <clears throat> a couple of 
uh, listeners, a few listeners have reached out and indicated that that particular conversation without context can come across as ableist, right? Um, when we do like audible shaming or, you know, uh, shame those who might like to receive information through their ear holes, um, we neglect to recognize that there are multiple reasons people might have that kind of a preference. And sometimes it's informed by things like with me, wherein um, I think I'm on the, I think I'm probably right in the middle of a bell curve in terms of processing information um, via the written word, right? Like I'm not a super fast reader. I don't think I have superhuman reading comprehension, but I also don't find it to be much of a struggle. But we understand that the written word does not land for everyone the same way. And um, we've joked in large part because you and I have context. You and I have a relationship. You and I understand that I'm making a choice to engage with things like Audible uh, for my own reasons. And um, my reasons don't necessarily line up with the same reasons others might want to or feel like they need to engage with it. Um, yeah, I just wanted to name that and invite you into that with me, Shandi. Yeah, I think, um, one, I'm really grateful that our listeners are reaching out and talking and commenting and asking us to, um, unpack and expand on, and that's the, that's the spirit in which I'm going to receive that, right? That Mm -hmm. it's not about, um, an indictment and maybe it is, but I want to receive, I want to lean into the learning and think more about what, about, um, what the, what's underneath even the, the comments and the ask. <clears throat> and, uh, the funny thing is when you said the part about, we even engage with our guests about it. It's, it's funny because, because our listeners don't have context, they don't, they don't quite, maybe they don't quite know that the ask isn't, are you audible or book reader? But it's, mm-hmm. are you, are you team Shandine or are you mm-hmm. team Delma mm-hmm. is really the mm-hmm. ask, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think, however, are, I think there are two things at play. One is, uh, well, maybe three. I'll say three things. I think it's important to name when our readers, or excuse me, our listeners don't have context because we have a responsibility to not um, double down on a damaging narrative around ableism, for example. I think that, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. I think it matters. And, and I think sometimes in our conversations, I lose track of it because what our listeners don't know is that this is now our second, maybe even third, sometimes third hour into conversation in order to actually get deep at it. It's not, we're not scripting this. We're just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another piece which I want to name is what they what they aren't seeing and what they don't know is the reason it's funny to us and the reason it's on the table to be a joke is because you don't struggle reading a book. If mm-hmm. reading an actual book were difficult for you, mm-hmm. no way in the fucking world would I be saying 
well, you know, like you do your audible that I, <laughs> that that wouldn't be a thing. Right. And that's the missing context, a piece mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that third deeper piece that I'd like to explore is what does it mean to, um, what does it mean to have context in a way that allows um, humans to engage back and forth in ways that are, that are, that aren't um, damaging or double uh, doubling down on a terrible narrative, but can actually just be human to human joking back and forth. And it's not about who's being too sensitive by any means. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. Um, nor do I want to go down the, the path of like, what's politically correct to say? Because that's not the point either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think there's something we should, that I think is at the heart of what the pod is trying to get us to, which is what is it, what does it mean to humanize these spaces with one another and how we show up in ways in which we would, would joke and laugh and what is our responsibility and accountability if um, one, not everybody is, is in that and understand and gets it, but what if you are in it and you are in a relationship and you do get it and someone does hit a nerve or piece that's like, no, 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 no. Now you're approaching the actual hurting my feelings side of it. Like it was all yeah. fun and games until you went there. Yeah. Yep. Like so many things that we try to center in this pod, this is a conversation that does not have, at least in my assessment, there's no correct answer. Um, I think there's a spectrum of tolerance, for lack of a better term, that we all land on. And I think that spectrum looks different based on where the conversation is heading. Um, I keep thinking back to Chappelle. Keep thinking back to Dave Chappelle. Uh For so long, the work he did was really important to me in the way that, and I'm thinking particularly about his show. That show was important to me the same way Magruder's work on the boondocks was important to me the same way that as a kid, the Wayans with In Living Color was important to me. It centered a type of worldview experience, analysis, and humor that outside of those handful of shows, you didn't have access to in a pop culture kind of way, right? Every one of those shows was important. But one of the things they all have in common is um, a willingness to have some really scathing analysis turned inward. And I don't mean inward like the word nigga. I mean inward like within, (laughs) just to be clear. Thanks. So you're welcome. So each one of those shows made fun of stereotypes within the black community, right? And Chappelle, for instance, um, 
in both Chappelle and in Living Color, you saw the wino slash crackhead as a reoccurring character. Now, when I think about what crack cocaine did to my community, it's nothing funny. Yet, I give myself permission to laugh at Tyrone Biggums, you know. But I don't give my per- myself permission to laugh when he then has a Netflix stand-up special in which he's um, coming for folks in the transgender community. Is it because I don't identify as transgender that I don't give myself permission to laugh? Is it because I recognize that there is a vulnerability in the transgender community that makes it feel less funny? But then does that deny that there is a vulnerability in the black community? Was it okay to laugh at Tyrone but not laugh at, right? I can't make sense of why that felt like he went too far, but Tyrone Biggums was okay. I have no... I have no logical way of talking myself through how I made that decision. It just felt, I felt something different about it, right? And so there is no internal scale that I can point to and say, this is how I make these decisions. Let me pull out my matrix, my little chart. And run through all of the facts and see where I land. There's no mathematical equation for this, right? I think that's purposeful. I think that's what's at the heart of why everyone is freaking the fuck out about critical race theory, blah, blah, blah. It's because we haven't actually been equipped to have these conversations be the norm where we can unpack and talk about it. With ease and not be scared around what everyone else is going to think or, or indict the person having the conversation around. Like mm-hmm. you're putting mm-hmm. your finger on the, um, you're actually saying out loud, I don't have the, the, the words, the space, the, the, what, the, the tool that I need to go in and unpack that. I think that is a microcosm of the larger. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. just don't even know how to fucking talk about this shit at all. And so as a result, we either A, fuck it up, and then the left, <laughs> mm-hmm. like we start beating each other up inside that in a, I know more than you, I'm more woke than you, I'm more like right than you. And then mm-hmm. suddenly, as opposed to just, hey, hey, like, okay, like, then let's talk more mm-hmm. about it, but we don't have the skills to talk more about it. Um, mm-hmm. And the left is aligned and can jump on that in a way that, like, We'll look at the left fighting inside there. Look at the dumbasses. They can't get their shit together, right? And so then we're fucked because we actually don't know how to talk about it. It's a little bit like, um, and I'm going to get this completely wrong, listeners, so you're going to have to look it up and get it right, but I'm going to say the gist of it. Um, when Ta-Nehisi Coates was talking about the use of the N-word and he was giving a parallel around why context matters. And he was talking about how his partner gets is hanging out with a bunch of her female friends. And if they're in there, like, bitch, please, can you blah, 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 like, like talking to each other as girlfriends, he mm-hmm. would never go inside that room and call one of her girlfriends 
Oh, bitch, please. Can you blah, blah, like that? Just like, just like it's, it's insane to think, mm-hmm. right? And he's trying to talk about context and what that means. Even that conversation with that teaching video to show people in a room of people, well, you still shouldn't be saying the word bitch. We well, still shouldn't be saying that. Well, just, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like you're missing the whole point of what we're trying to, that, not equipped to actually talk about it. And so that's why I almost love that our listeners are bringing this to us because mm-hmm. We need to practice talking about ableism and like the way in which we talk and we center, we like society centers, um, white, able-bodied, like men as the, the marker of normal across everything else is problematic. And are we inadvertently, because people don't have context to our relationship, are we inadvertently um, damaging anybody with a joke in that narrative, I think there's a level of responsibility that we have. So I also think there's a level of responsibility our listeners have to hear and hold our hearts as we wrestle with it too. Mm-hmm. And to invite us into that, into that conversation in, mm-hmm. in a parallel world. I feel the same way about Powell highway and smoke signals and running brave, like every single one of them, there are there's Indian humor about alcoholism. There's Indian mm-hmm. humor about like things that are both um, re- like really hard for me to have other people, other non-Indigenous people looking at it. Yet mm-hmm. what I do with with some of um, like my like once people really, really know me, humanize me and get it. Like, for example, our our guest today, I'm all, you've got to watch Power Highway at this point. Like, we cannot be friends if at some point you have not seen this movie. Because, mm-hmm. because it's such an important, because of the way you talk about Dave Chappelle, the way you talk about Boondocks, mm-hmm. the way, is the way I talk about Power Highway, Running Brave, and um, Smoke Signals. And we talked about this a bit on our episode with Lori. I have a tough time with reservation dogs. Yeah. Like, and not because I don't think we need to like that, that it isn't an important show to be out there. Mm-hmm. But without context and the way in which we like demonize and yell at everybody, it's, it it's like sometimes feels McCarthy-esque in what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. It would be one thing if I felt clear on what my boundaries were. If any one of us had a sense of clarity about what our boundaries are, that would be one thing. I could script it on a T-shirt and wear it for you to see, and you would know how to be in relationship with me. I think what adds a complexity to it is that on any given day and in any given moment, my boundaries are going to shift. I'm going to have more patience, more humor, right? Quicker to laugh at something. And in the very next hour, I've gone through something, thought something, something was brought to my attention. And now all of a sudden that joke you made an hour ago is infuriating. How the hell is anybody supposed to know (laughs) on any given moment where I'm standing in my 
sense of humor and in my sense of or in my sense of humor or in my sensitivity. Oh, your central nervous system. Like we ourselves can barely like tend and track that. Exactly. Exactly. And so as long as we're operating with a central nervous system, I think you're going to have a hard time coming up with some rules for real to make this work. So then the question becomes, because I want to circle back to something you just said. You said, you know, we as podcasters have a responsibility and our listeners have a responsibility. And I want to add another responsibility to both sides, which is I want you to hold my heart as a listener and understand that I'm on this journey with you. At the same time, I want you to be very clear when you're not able to do that for me. Mm. Because there's going to be times where you just can't. For sure. And that's okay. There's going to be times where I can hold more for you. And there are going to be times where I could give a fuck less about what you got going on because I'm wrapped up in my shit. Mm-hmm. That's normal. And it needs to be normalized, you know, but it's a moving, it's always moving. It's always in flux. And I think that's what makes staying together um, so challenging, you know. I also think it's not even just the staying together so challenging. Like it's all all of it. Like all that you said about like, how can you know? How can you predict? How can you know where someone is or where they show up? And like, yes, yes, yes. I never fucking know how to name the shit that's happening in my central nervous system about things. Never. I like, Mm. I I am successful in my brain. Like I say this with sarcasm because I crush all that shit down and like work even harder and double down. Right. Like I'm on this journey of like, oh shit. I really need to be listening to that like better, Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. less being able to articulate it in front of someone who is having an issue with something I said. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I would like to think I'm showing up like ready, open hearted here. Let's pull it in. And and I would think for the most part I am, but how the hell do I know when I am and when I'm not? And how do I know when they are, they're not, but I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are not socialized or to use your words, it's not normalized. And maybe that's ableist behavior or like framing of words. It hasn't been normalized to learn how to talk about it and learn how mm-hmm. to say out loud. The, there are times when I've got capacity to hold it and there are times when I don't. And when I don't, I need to name it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a really beautiful conversation, like ramping up to what we were going to talk about today about gender roles and, and, and shallowness and men and women and dating and all the things. And I was in a really good place where I could actually talk to you about my experience. Mm-hmm. There are days when I actually can't. And what comes out as some of my brothers, you know, deeply know is instead of being able to say it in the way that I talked to you about it this morning, I say like, must be nice to be able to blah, 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 blah. Like I'll be so Mm -hmm. upset. And the Mm -hmm. beauty of my brothers who hear and hold me, they know that like my, where I am in that space, that moment, they know what I have capacity for. And again, Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of what does that mean to be in that relationship? They're not mad that I'm screaming like, must be nice that you blank, 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 blank. Like I'm not going to say it because I don't want to out 
like what it is I'm upset about when they're talking, but they know, and I know that it's not about hurting the love for one another, but we're processing shit that our bodies are telling us is either safe or unsafe or there are other elements that no one has thought about before. And all I know when I'm in that space with them is that I can do it. When I'm in that space with you, I can do it. When I'm in a really good, healthy space, I can talk talk openly with you mm-hmm. about like gender and, and men and dating and the fear of rape all the fucking time. When I'm in mm-hmm. another headspace with other people, I don't think we've ever been taught how to say, or a lot of us haven't been taught how to say, hey, friend, I don't know if I can hold that right now. I'm, I'm having some feels. So can we table this for another time? Or even say, hey, I'm having some fucking feels right now. I need to get the fuck out of this room with mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the receiving person probably is, doesn't also doesn't know how to say, like, gotcha, I heard it. Like, you mm-hmm. be you. Like, mm-hmm. protect your sovereign self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is something at the intersection of trauma life experience, um, our nervous systems, our access to care that allow us to move through what has happened in ways that allow us to like um, increase capacity for ourselves and others, right? There's something about the the day-to-day, minute-by-minute shifting of our nervous system and what we feel capable of holding. All of the only thing that can possibly bind all of that up and allow for a through line, a consistency, is relationship. Right? The society we live in, white supremacy, patriarchal culture, none of those things facilitate building meaningful relationship that can be sustained over time. Because at all times, we have to be the fastest, the smartest, the wealthiest, the most powerful, the fill in the blank, the most everything. Or we're weak. Right. Like I heard somebody else say Trump is the president we deserved. And in so many ways, I agree with that. Because everything he articulated, he valued, is, in my assessment, what did Adrian say on our last show, right? That flag is stitched together with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Trump is the president we deserved. Mm-hmm. And by and I'm using the term we hella loosely here. How much? Yeah. But you know, when somebody says something like, you know, I salute the soldiers who don't get caught. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody says that because you're not supposed to say that. But we make movies like Rambo. You know what I'm saying? I do. He's just saying what we've been saying. You know? So 
I think the metaverse that we live in tells us we have to be perfect and strong and capable. We have to know everything at all times. And I, even if, even if that's what they say, which is true, like, yes, you have to be, you have to be perfect. You have to be blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's not enough to say that, no, we actually can't be all those. We actually have to practice talking about this mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. and again and again and again and again, even as we stumble, even as we, even if we're like, if I say something and we're like, and let's take you and I as an example, deep, deep, deep in relationship, mm-hmm. I'm still going to say something that's going to fucking trigger something like, and what does it take to actually begin to practice that? Hey, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. I think I might've hurt your feelings. I'm looking at your face. I'm not quite sure. Like, and the same thing or like, Hey, Hey, you just said something. And like, I know you didn't mean it, but I got to fucking name it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, when we're not practiced at how to do it, when like, we're going to be stuck between this binary of perfect and non-perfect as opposed to we're going to be all over that goddamn continuum as we learn and grow. Like we're never, there's never going to be one place that we're going to be. Yeah. Yep. We are charting. And I don't just mean this show, even though I do think this show is trying to help contribute to charting a new way of being in relationship with, with one another. Right. I think this show is about normalizing the fact that we all fall along this spectrum that we're all going to probably say things that are fucked up. And the question then becomes not how do we most quickly ostracize, (laughs) but rather how do we most quickly repair? And, um, and maybe it's not most quickly. It's like, mm -hmm. how do we just move toward repair? Right. How is it not Mm -hmm. like, so let's take, let's take the, the feedback we got from our, from our listeners around, um, the audible, you know, inside joke that you and I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some people like throughout baby the bathwater, right. Which is like, okay, then I'll never make a joke about you. Like not liking books ever again to like, that doesn't solve it either. Right. And so, nor is it like, mm-hmm. okay, listeners here, we hear Here's what you said. And like, we're so, so, so sorry. And here's where it's from. And here's what, and we're going to work really hard to make sure everybody understands all the inside. Not like that doesn't do it either. Like mm-hmm. how do we learn what the, in between those reactions are? Mm-hmm. And where does our sovereignty lay in that? Right. Where can we just actually still continue to give each other shit that like you promised, you know, to read this, to read Red Pedagogy by Sandy Grand and you still won't fucking do it. And it's really fucking important. And I still want to make fun of you for that. they won't read it out loud. And I still get to make fun of you for that because your need to have it read out loud is not more important than the world's need for you to have this information in your heart and body. people to read to me. I need people. To read. <laughs> swear okay. to God. I was born with a crown and I am not taking it off for none of y'all. Okay. You pat my booty and read me a story. Okay. That's what I need. <laughs> I am a giant baby and I am not ashamed of that. I like my bedtime stories. When we come back, uh, Shandine and I are excited to welcome today's guest, Mr. Scott Nine. Please stick around. We can't wait for you to join us in that conversation. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Dive and Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. 
If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging in there with us. Um, if you were to Google Scott Nine, you would find his bio with ease. You would find that he's got the world's longest title, Assistant Superintendent for the Oregon Department of Education's new Office of Education Innovation and Improvement, although it's the office isn't new any longer, but it's an insanely long uh, title. Um, and so, Google it and you can learn it, but I would prefer to um, introduce him in the way that I, I know him best. When I think of Scott, I think of how he, how he takes what a good person can do in the world and how he brings it to a higher, a deeper sovereign level, the generational change level. He's not just a thinker, but he's a systems innovator. When you work with him, you learn that he believes you are not just a colleague, but rather a valued human. He shows up not just as a supporter, but as a warrior defender, as not just a thought partner, but a necessary provocateur, not just a friend, but a brother, not just a helper, but a healer, not just one who cries, but one who can lean into grieving. Not just one who laughs, but one who can and does belly laugh. And not just a poet, but rather an ancestral scribe. And I think he shows up that way because justice is central in all that he does. So it makes sense that his relationships have a deeper, more sovereign level. And what a gift that is to this world. So thanks for joining us, Scott. Thanks for having me. I don't... <laughs> I will rapidly fall short of the introduction, but I really appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> also listening to, listening to you all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you on the petty. Uh, it's it's the conversation you're having. It's what a what a gift. So glad to be here. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Um, I am aware that uh, part of the way you grew up involved uh, coming up as a PK. Is that right? Close. A My dad kid. was like a, yeah, close. I was, I was a very uh, rooted in the church and my dad was a, um, an elder of the church, but not the actual preacher. Mm, but my, my, mm-hmm. my best friend was the preacher's, uh, son, uh, for for quite a for quite a while, but I grew up really rooted in in church, and um, mm-hmm. so close mm-hmm. enough. <laughs> close enough. Close um, enough. and I'm wondering. So for me, I grew up in a in a faith community, and um, it was kind of split up in the sense that my my parents were really active in their church, um, but I also went to Catholic schools. 
um, even though I wasn't Catholic. And so I'm often thinking about and asking others when I find out if, if they grew up in faith communities, I'm often curious about how that impacts the worldview. Um, even if they, like myself, I no longer identify as a Christian, right? But I am still hyper aware of the ways in which that shaped how I show up. I'm curious if, if you see that being the case for you as well. Yeah, def- definitely. Uh, I, I I like to say sometimes, like I grew up with like unconditional love in a box, and um, mm. part of the coming into the world with uh, um, people who had, I think, from the perspective I have now, some deeply narrow and problematic <laughs> ways of seeing people and things within that box, uh, a profound amount of love. Right. I had, uh, you know, people of many different cultures and backgrounds who hugged me, loved me, sang to me, read me stories, made sense of the world for me, taught me about forgiveness, taught me about how to take responsibility for doing wrong things, taught me about how to be of service to other people. And, um, you know, I wanted to be baptized when I was five, as consciously as a five-year-old could want to be baptized. Right. And I started giving Mm -hmm. sermons when I was 12. And, um, and it it made complete sense until it until it didn't, um, and the uh, there remains a lot of of pain and grief about the loss of the place you're in. Part of your conversations, like how do we be in community with each other? It's like there's a certain type of community in that place that has a tremendous set of bonds. I, I watch people in tremendous poverty come to church and say, we, we can't pay our bills and watch people put people who don't have any money, put money in a plate to help someone else pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Right. And then to see that same architecture be something that is homophobic, often racist, problematic, trying to save other people. And like, as I met a world that had a whole different set of stories and understandings than I was exposed to, you know, I put all that down. I, I put I put God down. I put spirituality away for a while. Uh, and then, to your point, um, kind of the unavoidable recognition of the way all of that was working on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to, to come to different understandings about um, spirit and love and relationship. Um, but try to also cut through some of the, you know, the trance part of it, but see some of the beauty too. Let's let's um, now expand on that with um, race, gender, able-bodied sort of um, lens to that. I'm curious about what movement towards healthy identities and relationships looks like for you, given your positionality as a, and I don't think I'm outing you or wrongly identifying you as a cishet white man with a decent amount of organizational power. All, all true. Um, oh, where, where to, where to begin? Um, p- p- part of that box and in, um, in deep relationship with my my parents and my grandparents, but also you know, I'm a fan of this writer Daniel Quinn in part for something he coined the Great Forgetting, which is like the just the absolute um, 
collapse of storytelling. Like, how do I grow up the child of two educators but not learn about Black Reconstruction? How do I uh, draw pictures of the Pinta and the Nina and the Santa Maria and not know about the doctrine of discovery, right? Like, how do you... Um, how, how do you grow up to understand a world where you're essentially, you know, keeping huge aspects? What, what's conscious, what's unconscious? Um, for me, there were vivid experiences, right? Um, friends of color in high school who experienced racial epithets, uh, going back to West Virginia with my family and seeing my uncle proudly show me his KKK card. Um, talking with my grandmother about um, her growing up in Alabama, but not fully registering what I would later know from my own work about my own family's owning and trading of slaves. Uh, the grappling with um, able-bodiedness, right? A profound moment for me was when I was a football player in high school and I was, I got asked to volunteer for the special Olympics. And um, this young man, uh, Eric, profound amount of courage to compete in the Special Olympics by uh, using uh, a very limited body to move uh, um, electronic wheelchair uh, down the you know pathway to race and and uh, seeing his deep desire to just get to walk a few steps and could someone help walk a few steps and how to um, essentially kind of constantly wrestle with, you know, if I guess it's audio. So <laughs> like if you have your hands in front of your face and you box them out, I guess like, do they do that with horses or they put like the blinders on the side? Like if that's all the world that you see, you see within the confines of that. And then the question becomes like, are you aware that there's anything else out there and what actually want, makes you want to open to see anything else and then what do you do with the pain and confusion anytime you do and um, that core like fire for like how to tear out you know for me my own homophobia my own racism you know my own <laughs> patriarchal <laughs> instincts like how do you how do you work with that right and then uh at the same time and you know a much longer conversation maybe is how then to uh take the um there was a moment in my life when i was about 28 where i tried to make myself as small as possible i had kind of come to awareness of a number of areas in which I was basically contributing to oppression, was clearly unconscious about a lot of things, was getting a master's degree in social work. I'd gotten a master's degree in social work. But what I was trying to do was basically shrink myself so that I would essentially do no harm. So I would essentially, you know, try to, and, and there's, there's, there's value and path in that, I think, in terms of like trying to step back. And then there's a place where you're like, how do I how do I exist too? Like so, how do I show up in a place where all of those privilege, power, social perspective get put back to work? Knowing that to do that is to then to risk screwing up. Back to your whole first <laughs> part of the part of the conversation about what's it take to try to put yourself back into that conversation and then potentially get to positional power in a place if I have tremendous both power and responsibility. And 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 how do you then? stay a learner, but also 
find a stance where you're willing to act in the world. I might be asking you the type of question that is just begging you to continue the shit you've already said. I just want to acknowledge that. But <laughs> I I think what you're speaking to is something that I am constantly grappling with because so often I am paid to go into predominantly white spaces. And they are saying, hey, can you come in here? Because we want to do things differently. Right? We realize we've been operating a certain way and we want to shift that. And what happens so often, over and over again, almost consistently without fail, is that you you hit a point at which the business as usual way of operating that Shandine and I spoke to earlier, this, this desire to not get it wrong becomes all too important and it halts everything else. You don't want to say nothing. You don't actually want to show up. You don't want to own the ways in which you're fucking up. You don't want to do anything that invokes vulnerability. And if we can't go there, we can't move the work. We can't shift the culture, right? I think what I want to to hear from you has to do with a healthy transition. I want, if you can, to expand on what it means to encounter guilt and alchemize it in ways that allow you to still show up and still do the work, knowing that you're still going to fuck up and have to encounter it again. Like, how do you, what are some of the tools, what are strategies, what are things you have found helpful in in being able to do that for yourself? And what would you tell these white people I work with that are getting on my nerves? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, so what you what you just described, right? I think is in some ways like it's it is a it is a practice. So conscious repetition, you know, act, fail, rinse, repeat, right? Um, and the. I, I, one thing I guess is fail a lot. (laughs) I don't know that it gets easier, but, um, one thing while I wrote down while I was listening to you at the beginning of the show was like the the principle of like, keep showing up. So like down on the mat hurting, how do you, how do you get, how do you get back up? Um, there, there is hurt and pain. It's incommensurate to the amount of hurt and pain that white supremacy has done or that can happen. So I don't want to pretend that that's uh, not like uh, we don't have to set them on a <laughs> necessarily on a scale, but it, it can be challenging. I love the word you used, alchemize and transition. I, I hold that view. I think we are in a moment of tremendous um, 
tremendous difficulty, but tremendous possibility, essentially with the question, can white people transition to being a healthy healthy demographic minority, um, but can actually heal from all of the terrible fabric of the of the uh, ways that Lieutenant Colonel Massey talked on the last episode in a way that actually brings uh, not just white folks but invites wholeness and the kind of full dignity and humanity humanity that the that the show I, that you all I think are, are trying to explore and invite people to. And so fundamental is that question, like in those, you know, what I would think of as like crossover moments where the choice is between separation and relationship, when the choice is between like um, paralyzing guilt and shame versus how do we listen and pay attention more deeply in that moment. Um, And it might not be in that moment, you know, it might be that there's bumps in time, but it ends up in this kind of fundamental question. Um. For me, that's a constant um, journey, both in you know reading and study and song. Um, I've I've had the opportunity to have a, I both sought, but also have have been blessed by many lived experiences with many elders in this work who have conveyed things to me that are helpful uh, at the alchemy level. I would be wrong if I didn't mention Dr. Vincent Harding um, of Detroit, you know, who, who said to me, uh, to be like love and iron fused together. And I think the practice of that is, uh, how do you build a community, uh, around you who can see more of your whole self? Uh, for me, it's been actually, uh, um, I'm a trained over cooperator. Like I was trained to please people. And I, I've had to learn how do I build like an internal set of conditions that I get to be whole to. Uh, and how do I understand the part of me where I'm way overextended and trying to care for and help other people and I'm out of gas? Uh, how do I make it be okay that I have emotions and things are hard too? Uh, I work with a lot of white people who are desperately trying to, their intent is, is, is real desperately, desperately trying to figure out how to treat and be with people in the right way. But the skill set is low and they're so afraid to say the wrong thing that they're not able to be in a conversation or a dialogue that contains much depth. And the minute that it gets to that hot point, they, uh, it gets fragile. And what I believe is and try to practice into is how do you catch those moments which is not that far away from like uh the moment you talked about with dave Chappelle, and then like when there are kernels of truth even if they are not said in the most ideal way possible and when you've earned the vulnerability of someone to tell you you know all the ways in which uh you know, it, the, it must be nice moments, Shantine, or um, other people in different expressions, you know, Black, Puerto Rican, different communities, all basically saying, like, you have your head up your ass. And, like, in that moment, do you get defensive <laughs> and walk away? And I have. Like, I have. I've been in a circle full of people who called me out, and I shut down and didn't mm-hmm. talk, you know, for days. And then you walk away from that experience. The question is, like, will you show back up? Uh, I don't have any other magic 
sauce necessarily other than that commitment. And then uh, I have chosen into kind of um, uh, Rinzai Zen practices around Tai Chi meditation, ways of moving that feed me and give me energy to kind of keep refilling and showing back up to work. People got to pick their own, you know, paths or tools or ways to do that. But I think it's important that we don't, um, like you can't just break up barren soil. You have to do other things to change the condition. So what feeds and puts water into the soil, puts new things in the soil. And I, and I generally think most white folks are feeling very thirsty and broken and, and don't know how to, you know, find their way forward into healthier conditions. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's what, that's what came to me. Yeah, no, that was, that was good. Thank you. For that. I, I- I have a I have a follow up that's grounded in the a little bit in the must be nice. <laughs> so so part of it is when you talked about like how do you, how do you get back up? Like and like must be nice that some people have a choice and some people don't, right? So there's that piece, but the other follow up piece is that um you're not working with all white people. And so you're you're leading teams and, and in, in lots of locations and not just your current team, but teams you've led in the past teams, your future teams who you're going to lead. And then when you're out there working with, uh, you know, superintendents and, and principals and all of that, like, yeah, there's paralyzing guilt and shame among white people. How do you also hold both the parallel paralyzing guilt and shame for whatever internalized racism, BIPOC, indigenous BIPOC folks, BIPOC folks have, in addition to actually knowing there's a different level of scaffolding that's required for you to be able to, what I think you're hoping to do is to create that space for real work and magic to occur. The, the question is how, how to care for that type of space. Um, every, every, every moment is a prayer, right? Every moment is a prayer. So regardless of the of the religious connotation of that, like what's what's possible. So if if we're um, called to see and listen to each other, some sometimes that's being willing to facilitatively amplify a perspective that I don't own but but give voice to. It's about creating conditions where people might more likely run towards each other than to look for separation. It's trying to find those false notes that you named where we have these deep habits, particularly on the kind of like ideological left where everyone wants to kind of prove who's got like intellectual or social justice rank and cut each other up. And at the same time, not miss the kernels of truth because it's also then too easy to just like shun people for that and not miss the hurt inside of what they're calling for. Right. And, um, uh, I you I can't be in everybody's lived experience or body, and I wouldn't pretend to. But I can bring uh, empathy to each person, and and what I think is a, con- a core practice for me is uh, trying to empathize the field between people. This is something I learned from someone named Arnold Mendel, who's done a lot of like um, process work to like hotspot conflicts in Palestine, Israel, Rwandan genocide, like what brings people into community. And so if you're not just about like, what's my experience or what's your experience or what's Delma's experience, but what is actually happening in between us and how do I pay attention to those things and then build the, 
not manipulate, <laughs> but be responsible to the conditions of what's going on. And so that means I've got to be constantly doing homework. I've got to constantly be learning about the history and story of the place and the community and the peoples involved. I've got to constantly recognize where I don't know enough and my role might trap me into feeling like I know more than I do. Um, and so it's just, is work. Like, and you just, I don't have a better, uh, I, I, I will continue listening to the podcast to keep learning my way <laughs> into this Effort, because to me that is the ex part of the dive in exploration. Is how do we how do we do that together? As a regular listener, um, you 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 know that I have to ask you. <laughs> yep. I imagine there are days where you're like ready to quit or you do quit. <clears throat> I imagine there are times where your highest aspirations are not only not met, but maybe outright rejected because you just don't feel like it in that moment. And I'm thinking about my white listeners, particularly. I like that they're your white listeners in this one. They can be yours. All our listeners are mine. <laughs> oh, that's the, I meant to tell you that's the number one feedback I've been getting. Oh, is that, that, right? Is that right? Is that right? People the number one feedback you've been, you've been getting from your one friend? Yeah. Okay. Continue. People listen to our show for me. <laughs> Um, I'm thinking about our white listeners and imagining that for a lot of them um, engaging in this work, trying to be mindful, trying to be thoughtful while simultaneously just navigating everyday life can be a bit exhausting. And the way you responded to a lot of our questions it's obvious to me that you spent a lot of time thinking through this and living through this and moving through this, right? But I don't want anyone coming away with the with the impression that you've nailed it, mastered it, that you're turning to the rest of white America screaming, get on my level, right? So could you give them a taste of <laughs> your fuckery <laughs> when it's at its best. Or just Flash double words. down or just double down on the fact that you shit unicorn poo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tell White America how perfect you I'm are. And Only the <laughs> it smells just as bad as any other unicorn. Uh <laughs> uh Yeah. I I was I was asking uh I asked my kids and my partner say like um what would you say? And I'm totally embarrassed to say I've been married for almost 25 years and my partner is an amazing person. And as we're talking in this conversation, like marriage is no joke. Uh, one of my friends says, you can learn to be a Buddhist priest or you could get married. Pick. It's the same path. Right. <laughs> so, like, uh, so with love for my partner, <laughs> like uh, we were in such a bad fight. 25 years. I've never done something as terrible as this. Uh <laughs> 25 years, never, ever done anything like this. I was so mad at her. I made my side of the bed, but didn't make her side. 
side <laughs> in the sheer act of just like fuck you. So there, there's my, <laughs> there's my. I'm so embarrassed, but that's true. I did. That. One has to work harder to only make one side of the bed. Oh, man. It's harder to do that. That's so wrong. That so wrong. is Colonel Massey would be proud of you. <laughs> I, th- I think he would be proud of you. Um, oh, yeah. I'm proud of you. I accept that. I'm not uh, proud. For that. <clears throat> Did anyone take a picture? Because I will make that the podcast <laughs> episode picture. If you... Oh, no. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware. I can ask Holly. We've, good, we've, no. we've, we've since uh, made up. We, we oh showed back God, up. We're, we're, we're doing fine. If people are we're doing one of the good. pettiest things I've heard in a long time. That's cold, man. That's so cold. Well done, sir. Well done. I feel like what our <laughs> I feel like what our final episode should be is ranking petties. Like of all the guests that we've had. Scott's in the top three. And I have to, like automatically. Right? This is what I'm saying. Like he is so you good. You made your side. I just want to say yeah. this again out loud. You made your side <laughs> of the bed. Did, I did. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the mechanics. Like, how does one even? How do you do that without automatically somewhat making? Did you go back and fuck her side of the bed up? This was a deliberate act. It was full of upset. Well done, sir. Well done. I, I got nothing. I'm I'm ready to hit credits at this point. What, what's up, Shandine? <laughs> well, in the first part of what you said, it feels um, adjacent to cutting your nose off to spite your face, that you're just going to eat food that you know is going to make you feel mm-hmm. bad later. Mm-hmm. Like in that, and it like we think about, and it's almost like he, he, that example is the physical manifestation of how you feel when you didn't make her side of the bed. It's almost like you gave us an example of like when we're petty, like it feels good for a moment, but we all know that it feels like fucking shit and terrible later. And it's almost like your first petty example was like this punishing of self petty and whatever the thing is like, cause if we were to actually, you know, you, you think about that phrase, cut your nose off to spite your face, like you actually do that to yourself. And so I guess as, as someone who loves you deeply, just invitation to examine that and, and care for self as also someone who loves Holly deeply Man, I hope she stuck it to you when you when she walked in that fucking room and saw her side of the bed. No. When we were making up, she was like, "Really? That's really what you thought? <laughs> of all the things of all the years, low tide. It was low tide. Really? I want to honor your time, but I would love to take a minute to to talk about the Dave Chappelle conversation if it's uh, you have room and time for it. Just a little piece of that that felt really resonant. It doesn't have to make the no, it can, and we can also put it back into the like to another part of it. I don't. I don't. It feels like the rest of it felt in flow. I just. I just wanted to. 
Is it making fun of Delma? No, <laughs> I know that that would make you happy. Come on. Uh, I know that that would make All you right, happy. All right, fine. Drop down some no, good knowledge and and. <laughs> I feel like you know Delma throughout listening for the for the two years, right? You you you've constantly brought up this what what I call a crossover moment, but like that moment where you're like, I'm really really good with this group of people, and then this thing gets said, and I suddenly feel separation, right? And um, and and there's there's something I think really in those moments for each of us in different versions, right? But it's that like, so in the, in the Dave Chappelle example, what I wanted to kind of test or, or check, which, you know, it's like, um, you know, again, like my experience of the particular app, you know, Netflix series that, that, hurt lots of people in the transgender and LGBT and maybe many other people community. I still hear like a, a kernel of truth that, that it's like an intent impact thing. But what I was hearing was as skillfully as he could, perhaps maybe not in the right format or for our audience, but maybe he's just like, fuck it. I'm going to say the thing that I think needs to be said. What I, what I heard was him trying to say, dear, transgender LGBT community, do, can you see the speed and ways in which you're getting identity and belonging and power and policy that is healing for you in a way that the historic Black community has been unable to get? And do you know that there are deep, deep wounds in the Black, and this gets into the question of like what gets aired with who, but that there are deep, deep wounds about the ways of basically watching community after community get more rights and power and actually not tend to the black experience. And whether skillfully or not skillfully, what I heard was him trying to basically voice that with, you know, his humor and way of trying to do that. And 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 I think probably not skillfully in the sense that what people could hear was the cut and the separation. And so for a certain community of folks, it was a separation moment, not a relationship moment. We end up getting all the conversation to be about what got said that was offensive and hurting and separating, but we actually didn't honor and maybe listen well to what was the kernel of truth that was trying to be shared. And it's not that one is there's pain in both (laughs) places, but this moment of like, will we, separate or will we move towards relationship again netflix series may not be the best vehicle for that in the long haul of things but our inability to actually stay with what was trying to be invited is at the root of what i think we're all challenged by because he's he's trying to invite the mess i think right and that's not to fully defend i like that he wanted to follow up there's lots of ways in which i think there is harm in some things that got said but I just I struggle in the exact same rhythm of things that like we can't seem to be able to hold the conversation. So we end up back in the kind of dynamics of who said what and how they said it and away from the heat of what's trying to get healed. What comes up for me is add that to by the mix. Making a distinction between the rights of one community that is all inclusive you're framing it as though everyone in the lgbtqi plus community is white 
And that is what leads to the death of people like Sakia in my assessment. Because it's like we can't walk at you gum. We can't recognize that Jimmy Baldwin and Langston Hughes, and I can go on and on and on and name all the folks, right, who have helped us understand ourselves better, right? Bayard Rustin, right? That lack of complexity and nuance, when you have that big of a platform, is in my assessment, dangerous. But is it inexcusable? Is it understandable? Should we grapple with it as opposed to saying, he said this, therefore you're canceled? See, I I have an issue with that too. You know, I don't think Chappelle woke up like, I'm about to make this world more dangerous for this pop. Like, nah, hell no. Nah. Nope. But we often treat people as though that, that were the case, right? And I think that's what you were speaking to, right? We, we end up not talking about the intersectionality of it all. What we end up talking about is shame you for saying that, you know, um, Let's get your show canceled. Let's get you removed from Netflix altogether. Um, And I don't know that that helps anyone. Imagine how powerful it could be if he could have access to a conversation and grapple with it and come on Netflix. And even if he never changes his mind, maybe he has some, some strong opinions. But to be able to just publicly say, hey, I'm grappling with this. And I want y'all, I want to invite my audience into this with me. I don't know that I feel any differently from what I said, but some things have been brought to my attention and I can kind of see what they're saying and I don't know where I stand right now. That's, that's dope. That's what I would prefer to see. You know, um, even from the Joe Rogans of the world, that's what I would prefer to see, you know. Um, tell us the truth, Joe. You know, I make my money off a bunch of white dudes who love nigga jokes. Period. So I've made a decision to give them what they want so I can keep them as listeners. Maybe that's not the right thing to do. Tell the truth. You ain't got to be perfect. Um... I worry on that last part that you ain't got to be perfect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just do. I'm not saying that I don't want people to tell the truth. And I have like an absolute embarrassing, like confession. Also, I don't, I don't, I don't listen to Dave Chappelle. I don't watch his show. Mm -hmm. I don't know his show. I don't, Mm -hmm. I made a conscious decision to not, um, not because I'm anti him. And so I'm learning about this, um, tension that you two are talking about right now in real mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. It's not hard to understand it, um, but the whole part of, of you saying, you know, like the, the Joe Rogans of the world, like, I don't care. Just tell the truth. I do motherfucking care. And that truth is going to have mm-hmm. fucking consequences and choices that I make around mm-hmm. him and what he does and the damage that um, he will ultimately do to communities I love and care about. 
And I think that's mm-hmm. where it gets um, dangerous for, for, for us as human beings. Like mm-hmm. I say, I want to engage in this conversation yet. I'm telling you right now, where's my boundary. I struggle right there, right there with that. You know, my, mm-hmm. a, a friend of ours who was on this, who was a, was featured on this pod first season said to me this morning, you know why you didn't get invited back to that congressional testifying? It's because of this fucking podcast. It wasn't because you forwarded forwarded them the webinar series. It wasn't because they, it's because of what you and Delmar are trying to do on this pod. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it is if we, if we get to humanize ourselves, I do fucking care that Rogan would say that shit and I will indict and hold him accountable accordingly. I don't just want the mm-hmm. truth. I want to know that truth. So I know what I can do and how I can react in a way that, and hopefully centers and protects the communities who I love and care about. I want to be a person who wants mm-hmm. to say, I just want the truth. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I think the, <clears throat> the scale of platform matters. I think the purpose matters. I think sincerity yeah. matters. Right. And I think learning at whose cost or expense. Right. So it's one thing to go like full deep, not light words, like actual commitment to like truth and reconciliation. If it's done out of purpose, intent, spirit, meaning relationship and real recognition uh, and attends to the platform and amount of harm done. It's different to be a exercise in social management from a promoted platform to maintain dollars and <clears throat> actual volume of harm, harm done. Right. So, cause I hear you Shandina, like the, you'd almost create like an enabling excuse. Like it's, it's cool that you just keep fucking up, you know, uh, just name it. Right. Uh, you know, and as long as you just can admit that that's what you're doing, like we're good, which is uh, there, there's there's an, uh, an integrity and accountability to like what kind of people we're going to be. But if you are ready, open, willing, pursuing a worldview of people's humanity and you're fucking up and you're in right relationship, then that's a certain set of context. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's so very, Dave had said the things. So I think right. it's like how you. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> It's mm-hmm. complex. It is. It is. Well, I'm glad you um, pulled us back to it because that was also helpful for me to keep thinking more deeply about it. It was also helpful for me to hear what Delma, um, what his response to it was. Um, and our hopes um, will be that you'll come back in season three and continue to, to dig and unpack some of this stuff with us. I'm cheering you mm-hmm. and the entire, all of the people who've been on the podcast. <laughs> and I, if if invited, I will I will come back. Yeah, we need the um, verbal yes. You'll so, come back. Is we, we okay? Yes, I will come back. Yeah, uh, don't because we're recording this. I will take a yes out of. I will okay, take a yes from not. something else and put it there if you don't. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, it yeah. may sound like okay. somebody firm, else's firm, yes. voice, but we're going to pretend firm, it's yours. You're right. <laughs> but either way, the, we're giddy. The power of editing. Absolutely. <laughs> Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level 
to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Doug Fearenstein is our audio engineer. Susanna McCandless is our administrative support. Jenny Cotting and Soraya Yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotions. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.